You guys feel it too, don't you? Nothing feels right anymore. Nothing feels correct anymore. Your clothes never wear as well the next day. Your hair never falls in quite the same way. You never seem to run out of things to say. This is, 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 this is the story of a podcast. Hi, welcome to the Bomb Squad podcast, where I am currently in the process of going through many separate universes all at once. I am completely unstable with my state in the multiverse, and I'm very scared, but I'm Tanner Richard Kraft, and with me I have... Ow! I'm Austin Sweebleman. I'm Rain, I guess. I'm Tim M. Sullivan, and this is a bagel. Tim, you've made me a happy man today. And today we are talking about the latest multiverse sensation to hit the nation. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Before we get into all this multiverse shenanigans, I'm just kind of curious about if you guys have any history with Daniels, Dan Kwan and Daniel Snyder, the directors at all. What do you think makes them stand out of the directors? If so, and what kind of expectations did you have going into this movie? Austin, you're the only one I know whose opinions about Swiss Air Army Man at all. So I'm going to start with you. Yeah, I, I, I didn't like it as much as everybody else. But I respect it. I respect them. Going back to my time in film school, the first time that I ever heard the term weird wave, kind of like French new wave, I was like hearing our professor Pete Timmerman talking about the films of Yorgos Lanthimos specifically. But you could also group in dudes like Leo Carax, but not Gaspar Noé even though his films look surreal. And I'd say the difference is the previous directors create a different kind of warped reality. Something fundamentally impossible is happening, and it's diegetic, not a drugged up hallucination. There is like a talking puppet or a farting corpse. If I had to wager a guess, I'd say people like Carax and Lanthimos are more influenced by experimental film canon, the fine art scene. But with Daniels, there's this undeniable presence of internet humor, as if like like Tanner's 2018 short, The Cardinals Fan, it God sometimes it. feels like a joke from an online forum that was painstakingly turned into a professional film production. What rolls about these two is that after they've like turned a man into a multi-tool complete with orifices or adapted the infamous Mr. Hands shock video into a murder mystery. There's like exceptional technical stamina present. Their camera work and their special effects are really amazing for the indie scene. And the cherry on top is their ability to communicate themes inside of these bizarre scenarios, exploring stuff like depression, anxiety, isolation, nihilism, optimism. I had another theory that Swiss Army Man was like just the tip of the iceberg with these two if their first attempt was a bullseye what is this movie going to be like when they have a 25 million dollar budget i'm not a betting man but odds were looking like this film would be at the very least a truly gripping postmodern film and those are always a cause for celebration because postmodern films vary a lot in accessibility Kim, you're still eating a bagel. So, Rain, I'm going to go to you for your opinions on the Daniels and what expectations you have going into this film. So I might have the least to say um, regarding them as directors. I literally have only seen Swiss Army Man and the Get Down for What? Is that the song get right? Down <laughs> down what? I love Get Down for What? Dude confused Get Low with Turn Down. Not much to say other than, man, that's just a whole lot of fun, which I guess you could also say about Swiss Army Man. I had a good time with it. It's 
um, I have not seen since like my freshman year of college. And I had, I don't know, like I like it. There's not too much I have to say about it. It wasn't really the main thrust of my excitement for this film. It was more so just the concept and just the first trailer, to be honest, and sort of the promise it had. I didn't even know, remember that the name of the directors for Swiss Army Man. So when it was like a film from Daniels and then my friends would be like, oh, it's Daniels. So I, I, just in the theater, I'd be like, oh, yeah, Daniels. That's crazy. I know what this means. Finally. And then the more I saw of the film as it was coming out, I thought excitement just like exceedingly got better. I really think now after seeing this movie, Austin really hit the nail on the head when he described their work, describe how they um how they're differentiated from like their peers with their inclusion of internet humor. I think they really feel like some of the first like major directors, like their taste and sensibilities have really been inspired from the internet as opposed to just indie film, other you know, traditional media in general. I was excited. The end. All right, Tim, uh, what uh, familiarity do you have the Daniels, if any? I haven't watched any of their shorts or any of their uh, stuff that they directed as uh, individual directors. I've only seen uh, this film and Swiss Army Man, which uh, I really enjoyed Swiss Army Man. That's a, this movie I like a lot. So, yeah, I guess going into this one, expectations. The movie looked interesting. The trailer looked like it had a neat concept and, yeah, just uh, interested to see what it had to offer and i guess just as far as like them as directors go basically austin put it perfectly and i think that they have a a really great way of just kind of offsetting their like kind of uh, dick and fart joke humor with some really like sweet character dramatic moments i think they get that balance really well to the point that like they'll make a dick or fart joke that makes you cry so that's about all i've got back to you mr craft all right, so uh, my history with Daniels as directors is, uh, hold on, I'm in the egg universe. <laughs> All right, there we go. I'm going to actually have something unique to say about that because nobody else has brought it up. But as far as um, my familiarity with them, as I've alluded to several times in the podcast before, Swiss Army Man literally changed my life. Middle, second semester, freshman year, I was depressed beyond comprehension. I was miserable as a computer science major. I felt like something was missing from my life. And then I saw Swiss Army Man. And in that moment, when the credits rolled, I told myself, I want to make movies. I want to be a director. I want to make something half a quarter, even one tenth as magical as what I just saw. I literally within the next two weeks went to an academic counselor and changed majors on the spot to a film production major. And uh, that's how I met all you lovely folks. And obviously my life changed for the better. Bomb Squad Productions wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Swiss Army, man. What I think makes them stand out as directors is their ability of recontextualizing things. The thesis statement of Swiss Army, man, when they set out to make it was the first fart will make you laugh and the last fart will make you cry. And for Mm -hmm. me, that movie succeeds in doing that a thousand percent. They find a perfect way. It's not like James Gunn or Taika Waititi where they're able to switch between funny and sad really quickly. The Daniels find a way to make the exact same thing funny when you first see it and then sad when you see it later. Obviously, there are other directors who do that, but I can't think of anyone who makes it such a singular part of their style quite like Dan Kwan and Daniel Schneider do. As far as expectations going in, uh, you guys know it. The second I saw the trailer, I literally immediately put it in the podcast schedule and I said, there's no negotiating this. The new movie from Daniels produced by Joe and Anthony Russo from May 24. It's a fucking multiverse movie. Michelle Yeoh, short round is in it. And he hasn't <laughs> been in a movie in like 20 years. Yeah, no, we're doing this. So my hype and expectations were all 
off the charts. Then it premiered at South by Southwest and it was getting universal acclaim. I remember there was a specific tweet that said, remember when you walked out of a theater in 1999 after watching The Matrix for the first time or out of a theater in 2015 watching Mad Max Fury Road for the first time? Everything Everywhere All at Once is that for 2022. And that pretty much set my expectations off the chart. Did it exceed them or meet them? We'll find out when I answer the next question, which is, of course, what do you guys think of the movie overall? Tim, I want to start with you here. Uh, What do you think of Everything Everywhere All at Once overall? Uh, Sorry, that was involuntary. And just, uh, yeah, just give me your thoughts on it overall, man. Yeah, so I guess I'll start with uh, the story of uh, when we went to see it. (laughs) Basically, uh, me me and my girlfriend Cody have been doing a lot of movie dates lately, and so this was definitely a movie that I planned to do a movie day with her. And then Tanner said, hey, Tim, you want to see everything everywhere all at once? I was like, I was going to do that as a date, but I'll see if you can come along. And Cody was fine with him coming along, so I showed her the Speed Racer video to prepare for what the experience of watching a movie with Tanner would be like. It's just like, you see all the crying that's happening. You're going to see a lot of that. So yeah, we, we went over to the High Point Theater and we watched it together. And we told Tanner some things about his experience of watching the movie that he wasn't even aware of, which in, included various scenes where things were happening and he was just like doing this and this, just like emphasizing the scene escalating. And so there was at least one point where we noticed him air conducting the score as it was going. And we told Tanner about this, and he was just like, what? Didn't you tell me I would also frame shots in real time? That sounds about right. Uh, I'm I'm sure you were being the cinematographer as well as the composer of uh, the film. I thought he was punking me. Like, I thought Ashton Kutcher was about to pop up like, huh, you just got punked. My thoughts overall is it's a really good movie. It's, it, it's, it fucking rules. Uh, it's my favorite movie of the year so far. I would say that I, th- I think what really makes it strong is it has this uh, way of just making you attached to everything that's happening. There's no such thing as a one-off joke. Everything they explore, and it doesn't feel like it overstays its welcome at all. Everything is there for just long enough for you to fall in love with, like the Rakakuni bit, the hot dog fingers, and the rock world. They're all there for just long enough that they're funny and you kind of fall in love with them a little bit. And uh, I think it does this great job of exploring this high concept multiverse uh, scenario while still having a overall message that really just boils down to something that's pretty simple, which is just like the heart of a family dynamic between these two parents who are struggling with their marriage and uh, this daughter who is gay and they're having trouble with that and just all of all of them struggling. It all comes back to that as it goes through all of these different universes. And I think that they handle that really well in this movie. I was reading a couple of critiques of this that I kind of rolled my eyes at that were like trying to say that this was just a sign of the direction Hollywood's going where they can't make a big boy movie without dressing it up as a comic book movie. And I'm just like, come on. This is very clearly a high concept story from the get go. And like, I, too, want the return of the mid budget movie. I do. But there's definitely room for movies like this to exist because they're perfectly well made and they have a lot to offer. And I think that this movie had a lot to offer. 
So, Rain, uh, what do you think about the movie overall? I'm pretty sure you're almost on my wavelength about your thoughts of the movie overall. Speaking of being on your wavelength, like Tanner, how he, after seeing Swiss Army Man, he wanted to, it made him want to be a director, it made him want to make movies. After just watching everything, everywhere, at all at once, while all my friends were talking, I'm like, oh, oh I can't, this movie was good because of blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, I, I love the blah, blah, blah. I was just, just stood there silent, unable to process what I was thinking. The only thought I could process was that I did not want to be a director. I did not, I wanted to stop making movies. I could not make any more art because no art I would ever make would top this. It felt like someone who spent their whole life mountain climbing, used everything, like was climbing Mount Everest and broke their body beyond repair to get reached the top. They reached the peak and then they see like a, a mountain that's like 20 times the size right before them. They're like, oh, <laughs> I've peaked. There's nothing I can do. No art. I, well, I am useless. I am in, in the awe of everything everywhere all at once. This is a movie. It might, it's just a perfect movie for me. I almost never give movies 10 out of 10s, but I gave this movie a 10 out of 10. I remember I, after you saw the movie, it was like mm-hmm. some godly hour in the morning. I'm like, you sent one word, not even a word, just the number 10. Yeah. And I knew immediately what you meant. And I said, holy shit. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. If you look at Tanner's like average on Letterboxd, it's like 10 like down like that. Whereas mine is like kind of like a bell curve almost. Mine looks like the middle finger. This is like, this is every, everything I want to make like as, like as, as a filmmaker, this film does and exceeds. And I, um, I was in awe of the tonal ballet that was going on between just like making something just like emotional and awe inspiring and just incredibly thoughtful while at the same time, very juvenile and just silly and whimsical. I don't know. I think the scene that I just best encapsulate my thoughts on that, the uh, rock scene between just the two rocks that I was fuming. I was furious. I was angry. I was like, I should have made this. Why didn't I make this? Why didn't I think of this? Also, Rakakuni, the way that goes and the way it starts off as like a as a one off joke and then becomes like, oh, they're actually they bring it back as an actual plot point, And then it's like, oh, this is actually emotionally moving. If I had one flaw, maybe I guess is the fact that it, the humor sometimes is a little bit too. I heard people compare it to um, Bob's Burgers. What? I always hear people compare it to Rick and Morty. It feels like the like interdimensional cable stuff, but I think like yeah. the jokes don't necessarily feel like Rick and Morty jokes. Some of the humor just felt a little bit like too silly, like a look kind of like 2000s, early 2010s, like LOL random humor, like every once in a while. Yeah. Epic bacon. Yeah. Stuff like that. <laughs> or like annoying orange almost like every once in a while. Nyan Cat is playing. Yeah, stuff like that, which I just can't stand. Every once in a while, it, got, it veered close to that. Otherwise, it's just flawless. All right, so uh, Austin, um, um, you're the ones I know the least about in terms of thoughts-wise, so just uh, lay it on me, why don't you? And if you say anything mean about it, I will take you out back to be sure. Did you guys know that it's been 12 whole years since Inception came out? God, it feels like it was yesterday. I love Paprika. 12 whole years since the last great mindfuck blockbuster. Three generations of kids graduated from high school since the last time something even remotely like this came out. But no more. Leaving the movie, I was joking to Sid on the car ride home that this is probably going to get less of those, like, you have to have a really high IQ to understand this movie posts compared to, like, Inception and Primer. I compared the fundamental mechanics of this movie to the music video, Turned Down for What? by DJ Snake and Little John. It's just people busting in and out of different places that make variable amounts of sense. And I'd completely forgotten that Daniels directed that video. So it was a total joy on Twitter later, seeing that video of Michelle Yeoh being shown that music video on set. 
Oh my god. Going a little farther here into the actual thing, I'd say as people, our feelings and emotions are some of the most complicated things that we've encountered in the universe so far. Sometimes you have to go through a lot of trouble just to figure out a feeling that has been burdening someone else. And I think this movie is like a really user-friendly portal to understanding some ideas that are pretty unique for the landscape of cinema. Like, back in my day, you had to take a lot of LSD to get to the place where you understand the gravity of something like the wide possibility of theoretical universes making you as an individual, your existence, seem meaningless. But this film cuts to the chase, baby. Even after you fully understand how many different pairs of shoes there are, with humans, it's just nihilism versus optimism, baby. Every time. Some people have that phrase, ignorance is bliss. Well, guess what? You're always at risk of something bigger finding you and shattering your reality. And in that moment, that can make you forget what's important. But until you pass that event horizon, that bagel, which is death, you can always find your way back and believe in valuing what you've got left. You see, it's not every day that you get an existential movie that treats the fifth dimension like a serious plot element. To wrap this up, this movie feels like two times the amount of thought and work put in. Like, take any good movie that you've seen recently and just imagine if everybody worked twice as long and twice as hard on it. The last time I think I saw a movie like this was probably Jonathan Glazer's Under the Skin a billion years ago. Like, if most movies are comparable to cars, like average or, or fancy, this movie's a fucking airplane. I'm happy that we have another, like, film school favorite on our hands. It felt like the calling card for a new generation of minds entering the medium with a tremendous bang. Okay, okay. I've had basically a month since I've seen this movie to prepare to answer this question, and I still don't think I am fully prepared to answer this question. I'm going to start it with a story. When I was 14 years old and I was after I saw the Avengers and I started to fall in love with the cinema on a deeper level for the first time. One of the early movies I watched as recommended by my both of my parents was a movie called Forrest Gump. I immediately fell in love with Forrest Gump, mostly because I saw myself in Forrest somewhat growing up with a disability with autism. I felt like I could fit myself into Forrest's shoes. Clearly, we had radically different disabilities, but there's this sort of fundamental baseline understanding is of having a disability that I feel like most people can relate to. It was this great, epic, sweeping fairy tale of old time Americana. And for the next 10 years, ever since someone would ask me, what's your favorite movie, Tanner? I would tell them my favorite movie is Forrest Gump. When I walked out of the IMAX theater on Ronnie's on March 30th of this year, I walked out with a sensation of feeling that I think I just watched my new favorite movie ever. And I know it's me. I'm Mr. Recency Bias. I'm Mr. Hyperbolic about things I've seen recently. So I literally gut checked myself with my friend, Joe Vrenick, member of the pod, uh, who saw it with me. And he said, no, dude, you're not crazy. It's that level of good. I understand it. Walking out of the theater, I'm like, the next generation of filmmakers are going to grow up saying this is the movie that made him become a filmmaker. Joe Vrenick told me walking out of the theater, he told me this. It's 1977 and we just watched Star Wars. I feel like it was something revolutionary. This movie feels like it was science scientifically engineered in a lab to appeal to me specifically. Think about a theme, an element, something about this movie. And it is something I've probably said I love in movies before. How about the the fact that this is a movie about learning to accept oneself and, and grow as a person? This is a movie where one of the fundamental messages is the world is scary. Be kind. 
that is deeply important to me to be kind and to see a movie say, even when we don't know what's going on, be kind. I heard him say, your clothes never wear as well the next day. And I went, huh, that sounds familiar. And then he says, your hair never falls in quite the same way. And I went, oh my fucking God, that is absolutely by story of a girl. One of the greatest pop songs I've ever made. Oh my God, oh my, oh my God, oh my God. Yeah, it's a one hit wonder and everyone knows absolutely story of the girl. But you don't expect your indie multiverse A24 movie to pull out story of a girl and then later have story of a girl play during a dominatrix sequence. I didn't realize that line was the reference to that. Um, and it's nine stars. It's nine. It's nine out of ten now. Fuck you, piece of shit, bitch-ass <laughs> motherfucker. That's a great song, and you're a loser. How about all the character work in this movie is tremendous? Everyone has these uniquely fleshed-out personalities. Some of them have multiple versions of these unique fleshed-out personalities. It feels like every joke, every cutaway is perfect. When they cut to rocks, I was losing my fucking mind. <laughs> when the first time you see the rocks... My entire audience is laughing and laughing. The first time you see the hot dog fingers, my entire audience is laughing and laughing. When you see those things again towards the end, my audience is crying. One thing I like to say is that this movie split up into these three parts. I like to say four parts because there's a little bit before it says part one. So that's almost like a prologue of sorts. The uncut gems portion. Part one, everything, is the part that made me go, this is my favorite movie of the year. Part two, everywhere, is the part that made me go, This is my favorite movie ever. Basically, during the entire portion of Part 2 Everywhere, I'm crying. Cody can also confirm this. In fact, she said this earlier on text. And I think it really comes down to one important character, which is Wayman. I can't think of a character more deserving of what I'm about to say. think of a father that rocks harder than Wayman. The absolute pinnacle of manhood. The absolute pinnacle of humanity. First off, what a tremendous performance from Ki Wan Kwan to play the three versions of Wayman. You got your normal Wayman. Uh, some people have called him Beta Raymond. F you if you say that. Because he is an absolute hunk of a man of himself. There's Alpha Wayman. And then there's a third one, which I have personally taken to calling to In the Mood for Wayman. Uh, since that entire sequence is obviously a visual tribute to In the Mood for Love. Which, by the way, how does this movie have parts that reference absolutely Story of a Girl by Nine Days? Ratatouille and In the Mood for Love. Those are three things I absolutely adore. In the Mood for Love is my favorite movie of the year it came out. So is Ratatouille. And this movie references them both in loving, tributeful, meaningful ways. Every time you watch it, you notice something new. The action scenes in this movie are absolutely off the charts nuts. And the visual effects in this movie are also off the charts nuts. I can't believe the visual effects in this movie was done by a team of five. I've seen seven and five. I've seen two different numbers, but it's anywhere from five to seven people. They couldn't properly integrate themselves into the existing VFX pipeline. So they just called a bunch of music video directors and said, hey, you know how to use After Effects? You know how to use Blender? Can you do the VFX for our movie? And it's it's stunning. It's perfect. The bagel looks great. Everything looks great. This movie was edited in Premiere and After Effects, Austin. How does that make you feel? Makes me feel amazing. That's what I'm talking about, baby. All right. There's more things I want to bring up specifically, but we'll save those for the next two questions, which um, we will get into after a brief commercial break. See you guys in a minute after YouTube does whatever they're putting in here. Hi, Prager you. Welcome back to the Bomb Squad Cod. Fuck. <laughs> Let me try again. Welcome back to the Bomb Squad Podcast, your number one source for menstrual cups. So our next question is probably going to 
be our quickest question. I think the score in this movie is really magnificent and also very unique. So I just kind of want to get your guys' takes on that. Rain, I want to start with you. Uh, good, but not as good as Swiss Army Man's score. That's fair. I think that is the one thing Swiss Army Man does better because it's really yeah. magnificent. Yeah. Uh, the acapellaness of the they got um that Sydney or orchestra group that's just really amazing. The song montage from Swiss Army Man is one of the greatest songs made in a movie ever. Tim, I want to hear your thoughts on the score real quick. Score good. Many people are saying this. Austin, uh, first off, get out of my swamp. And secondly, can you just uh, lay me lay it on me with your uh, thoughts on the score real quick? I think it's unfortunate that New York based experimental band Son Lux would shame plagiarized John Gage's 1952 classic four minutes, 33 seconds during the rock portion. I mean, come on. I'd recognize oh, that complete silence anywhere. It's that Fucking one hell. John Cage song. I read a line in Pitchfork that's pretty good. Author Annie Gang described the sonic location of this soundtrack as somewhere between creation and destruction. That's probably the utility of having an experimental band do your music. I, I liked it enough. I, I think it adds a lot to the movie. There's one piece of music specifically. The track is called How I Fight. I think it really adds a lot to the movie. And I think uh, what's really important is that it just sonically, it just really contributes to the unique. It has a multiversal sound to it. I think the score does. It helps your brain transition to the thought of seeing a man with hot dog fingers or as a pinata or just as rocks or hell, even a donkey. I think it really helps your mindset in the place. And I think the music's really important for that. So... For our um, fourth and final question, I just want to know your favorite character, your favorite moment, your favorite scene, your favorite something. I just want to know a favorite something from this movie. I want you to point out to a specific bit of this movie and say, I fucking love that. Rain, we will start with you. I think what has to be the best line, maybe my favorite moment in the whole movie, when the, when the father character in the in the universe where they're uh, both successful but not together, uh, when he's like admitting to her, like I wouldn't have minded just spending my whole life doing laundry with you or running a laundry mat with you. In another life, I would have been happy just to do laundry and taxes with you. That line destroyed me, it, and it continues to destroy me. The end. Well, that's a good thing. Austin, what's a favorite bit you want to point out? I think my favorite moment in the film, and I'm sorry if we have insufficient footage for this, viewers, but it's when Jobu Tupaki appears out of the elevator and starts just murdering guards. It reminded me of how people sometimes had cartoonish powers in that old movie Kung Fu Hustle when they beat each other's asses. But man, <laughs> it was taken so much farther than that movie takes it. Just like later in the movie when Evelyn takes her husband's advice and learns to fight people with kindness, the way random outfits, objects, and situations appear leading to death or happiness later was just endlessly satisfying to me. I, I truly could not tell what wonderful thing was coming next. All right, Tim, favorite bit from you? There's there's a scene right when, like, the first time you see, like, the veil covering the bagel where it's just this white environment. And Tanner told me later that he had planned to do this since the first time he watched it. Uh, which was, he leaned into me and just whispered, Kingdom Hearts. Just, just, the, just those two words. And, and serendipitously, this happened on the day that Kingdom Hearts 4 was announced. Oh, I was planning on doing that regardless. It was just 
ace timing. Darkness. Yeah, that was godly. Some favorite moments overall. I really enjoyed, uh, like, the scene that Austin mentioned of uh, Shoujo Subaki coming out and uh, beating everybody up. That was, that was just a lot of great material there. And I, I really enjoyed the uh, beginning of that climax when the bagel first comes out and suddenly she has to do everything to incapacitate all of these people. And then... Uh, we get that final moment of her just like going, stop calling me Evelyn. I am your mother, which is fantastic, Powerful. fantastic dialogue there. And uh, I, I saw a thing. It was like a letterbox list. It was like the A24 canon. It was like hereditary. I am your mother. Derogatory. Everything everywhere all at once. I am your mother. Heartfelt or something like that. <laughs> Which is, I just I, love the sentence, I am your mother, derogatory. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so good. And then I, I really like how that transitions into the real world stuff where the dog is just like, stop. Every time we try to talk, it, it just goes crazy and uh, everything gets fucked up. And then she just realized I have to let her go. And I thought that was just like a really sweet kind of way to bring that to its conclusion. Yeah, just just kind of a bittersweet kind of moment there. I thought was really sweet. If I was going to point to a specific part, it's when In the Mood for Wayman says, this is how I fight. Damn it. Fuck. Oh, my God. That was quick, too, (laughs) because I, I felt that, you know, me, I'm a kind person. And sometimes I play a little dumb or a little naive, you know? It's a defense mechanism. When Wayman said, this is how I fight, it felt like he it was speaking to me because that's how I fight. To basically just see, basically my entire life philosophy, which in Eternals I said was humanity is beautiful. What that results to in so is that be kind, especially when we're scared and we don't know what's going on. Uh, another thing I really want to mention out, though, is you guys have kind of talked about it, but it's the sequence where Michelle Yeoh says, I'm learning to fight like you. And instead of punching these people, she meets their needs. And uh, the third, third or fourth time I was watching it, I was reminded of something I learned in AP Psychology, which is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. For me, a lot of these people weren't having their best needs met. That guy had a pinched nerve. That guy was lonely. That guy missed his wife. That guy needed to be spanked. I do love that that was the direct one of the directors of the movie, because you know what? I get it. If I had Michelle Yeoh in a movie I was directing, I, too, would make her be a dominatrix for me. I get it. Powerful, though. Powerful shit. Never not since Quentin Tarantino has made all his actress be barefoot has a director so proudly put his kink in display of everyone. And I have no choice but to stand. And when it ultimately leads to that sequence where she's fighting Jobo Tobaki and the background keeps changing all around them and that it's all in one shot and it looks so cool. But what this eventually leads is to when she's trying to walk into the bagel and she grabs her and she can't hold on. And then her father, like Michelle Yeoh. And the grandpa. Is that the third time? Oh, my God. Two weeks ago, I messaged Austin <laughs> and true. told him this was going to be the one where Tanner cries three times. Yes. <laughs> my prophecy has been fulfilled. We got a betting pool going on, actually, behind the scenes. When it's the entire family holding on to the daughter, trying to protect her to finally display the love that she didn't feel like she was getting. And that's such a beautiful sequence. I also love the sequence where Wayman, uh, where Michelle Yeoh like does the thing with the multicolored lights. Like the first time she does it with Wayman, it's all these act of violence, but the second time it's peaceful, serene. And she just sees all this happy memories of, fuck. The entire movie is really beautiful. 
it's hard to pick just a single favorite moment, but those are some of my favorites. But it's basically all a part two everywhere. It's the Yu-Gi-Oh! podcast again. Tanner just going, my favorite part was the whole last hour. Literally, though. Okay, uh, it's time for your favorite section. Tanner's trivia. I think I sprained my groin. Corner! Tanner, stop hurting yourself for the podcast. Never. And to keep plot details about the movie under wraps before the trailer released, the official IMDb synopsis of this movie was, a woman tries to do her taxes. <laughs> and you know, not wrong. Uh, Kiwa Kwan delivers a reference to his Indiana Jones character short round when yelling at Evelyn to snap out of it. Because the scene plays out exactly the same in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Dune when Indy is under the spell by Mola Rain. This is Kiwa Kwan's first major film role in 20 years. I am so glad that Crazy Rich Asians brought this guy back. Because so truly, good. we can all agree, he is so good in this movie. He's incredible. It's three distinct versions of the same character. It's incredible. In a film full of amazing performances, I think he might be the best one. He kicks ass yeah. with a fanny pack. The Daniels originally wrote this script with Jackie Chan in mind for the lead role. Ultimately, they reconsidered having the leading role played by a woman, feeling a husband and wife relationship was more convincing. And therefore, the role ultimately went to Chan's super cop co-star, Michelle Yeoh. No offense to Jackie Chan. I'm not sure he could have pulled it off. I'm not sure he has the emotional weight that Michelle Yeoh clearly has. Yeah. In the scene where Joy invites her mother, Evelyn, to sit on the couch with her, she's kind of loosely quoting John McClane in Die Hard by saying, come out to the couch, we'll get together, have a few laughs, with the original quote being coast instead of couch. When this movie was first being reported for in talks, Michelle Yeoh was in talks to play the lead role and she eventually did, but who was originally cast as the Jopu Tukabaki slash Joy role was none other than Crazy Wish Agents and uh, Shang-Chi star Aquafina. Again, no offense to Aquafina. I can't imagine anyone else but Stephanie Hsu in this role because she nails it so perfectly. Yeah. Aquafina probably could have done it Watch The Farewell yeah. if you don't believe me. She has the emotional chops. But Stephanie, she was so perfect that I, you know what I mean? I wouldn't want to change it. Yep. I wouldn't want to change yep. it. So in an interview of Empire, Daniel Radcliffe mentioned that he was actually approached by Daniels to appear in the film. But uh, due to scheduling conflicts, he's uh, turned it down. Daniel Radcliffe also mentioned in the same interview that they are probably the only people in the world he would say yes to doing a movie with without having, having a word of a script. The, there's the actress Sunita Mani. Her role was small. She's in the TV musical as the queen. It's actually her third collaboration with the Daniels. She was first on screen and turned on for what? Where she danced on screen with Daniel Kwan. And then she appeared in the death of Dick Long, where Daniel Schneidart is actually the only director and uh, he plays the titular character. Writer directors Daniel Schneidart and Dan Kwan originally intended for Evelyn to have undiagnosed ADHD, with Schneidart saying it started as an almost intensive idea, like what if the main character was so distractible they could tap into other universes? Subsequently, as Kwan researched the condition, he discovered that he himself had undiagnosed ADHD. Hey. We got one, boys. We got one. In the universe where Evelyn is a movie star, they just use Michelle Yeoh footage yeah. on the carpet of Crazy Asian. Rich Asians. I adored that so much. When Joy is approaching Evelyn in the forest, her weapon cycles through multiple variations. For a split second, you can see her holding the Oscar. And God willing, this movie will be nominated for one or two. Please, God, I don't ask for much. That's a lie. I ask for a lot. But can you actually grant this one? The bagel and the googly eyes are inverted colors of one another, with the googly eye being a black center and white eye and the bagel being black surrounding white center. After Evelyn acquires the ultra strong pinky fingers, she hits one attacker, causing them to fly upward. You may recognize this sound effect from a video game called Super Smash yeah. Brothers. 
when you achieve a critical hit in that game, it's the exact same sound effect. Thank you. Austin, like, play that sound effect. It's the exact Thank same sound effect. Thank you for clarifying that. I thought they used that. Okay. Yeah, I thought that yeah. was it, too. One last thing, Tim. You brought up Paprika earlier. The fake-out ending is an intentional homage to Paprika. There we go. Final thoughts on the movie, everyone. Austin, go. Either I hope this gets nominated for Best Picture. Either that or we're in for, like, the best year of movies in my lifetime. The Academy doesn't like things like this, though. That's what I'm only yeah, worried about. It's not going to What I'm hoping is that the acclaim surrounding it could push it upwards like it did for Fury Road seven years ago. Tim, final thoughts go. It's a really good movie. I'm not in the same camp that saying it's the greatest movie ever made, but I really like it. It's my favorite movie of the year, and I hope that the Daniels continue to make more good shit. We all agree. Best movie of the year so far, at least. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know about y'all. I'm hard pressed to see a, if a, if something better than this comes out. I'm, it's gonna blow my mind. Oh my god, are you kidding me? I like two. a movie more than this. <laughs> Eternals two, let's go, baby. Two e two turtles. Rain. Final thoughts. Go. Um, I forgot to mention it might be one of my favorite movies ever. It's it's definitely up there. Movie good. When we last discussed it, I think you said it might be your second favorite. First or second, I would need a, I need a, I need a rewatch some of my favorites to say definitively. Uh, you said the other one in condition was City of God, right? Yeah, it's um, two very similar Fuck movies, you. of course. That's too hard. Um, I think this is my new favorite movie ever. It's a stunning masterpiece in filmmaking that's going to inspire several generations of filmmakers of years to come. If this can't even get nominated for a single Oscar, it's going to be heartbreaking. If this isn't nominated for Best Editing at the Academy Awards next year, that'll be the final nail in the coffin that the Academy isn't truly about rewarding the best of film because you'd be hard-pressed to find a better edited movie this year, I'm willing to bet. Yeah. And you'll be hard-pressed to find a better edited podcast than this one, Austin, because you're the best. Everyone give a shout-out to Austin. Round of applause. He's the best. He's the man. We love him. It's too, bad. it's too bad. It's too bad Austin Zweibelman died of Ligma. Yeah. <laughs> What's Ligma? <laughs> Austin, my Zweibelman. <laughs> you know who else died of Ligma? You! The person watching slash listening to this podcast. If you're listening to this podcast on any of the audio platforms on, please go down below and leave us a review. It helps boost us in the algorithm. If you're watching this version on Spotify video, hi, welcome. I think we somehow cursed less in this one than we did in the Sonic 2 one. That just goes to show the kind of people we are. Definitely. Uh, but if you're watching this uncensored version, how about you go down to our Patreon? Because I'm not sure how to monetize the Spotify videos yet. So if you're watching exclusively on Spotify video, we'd really appreciate it if you get to our Patreon and just threw a couple bucks our way. Uh, if you contribute 10 or more dollars a month, Hey, guess what? We'll put your name in the end cards. And if you are watching this version on YouTube, thank you oh so very much for watching this googly-eyed masterpiece that I'm sure Austin has put together. While you're here, comment below and let me know. Have you seen everything everywhere all at once, and what do you think of it? Do you want us to do a Swiss Army Man podcast in the future? What alternate universe from this movie is your favorite? What's a favorite moment from this scene? And finally, comment below and let me know. If you had hot dog fingers, do you think it would be more difficult to jack off? Comment below and let me know. And while you're down there, hit the like button. <laughs> you just look incredulous at that one. Just absolutely baffled. <laughs> while you're down there, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, and hit the bell icon so I can travel through universes in order to break into your home and kill you with my pinkies. Thank you again also very much for watching. Tune in next week where we talk about a movie starring Nick fucking Cage, the unbearable weight of massive talent. That's going to be a fun one. I've already seen the movie and it's really, really good, guys, I swear. So that's going to be a fun one. You don't want to miss out on that. I'll see you guys then. Bye. Farewell. Bye.